0: Uh, so Mark chapter 6, uh, this week as I was preparing, uh, I kept coming back to this question that we actually looked at in Mark chapter 4. It was this question that the disciples asked after Jesus had calmed this huge storm by uttering just a few words. So there's this huge storm, Jesus utters a few words, and the storm is completely completely calm. This is back in Mark chapter four. And the disciples, upon Jesus doing this, uh, they ask, who is this? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And you know, I realized this week as I was preparing, this is not a question that they asked them, but this is a question that's still being asked today. Maybe maybe now more than it ever has been by our culture, just this subject of Jesus uh, is, is popular. Even in And even in the mainstream media, I thought back to Easter and it was like special after special being advertised about the historical uh, figure of Jesus. Or you hop on Netflix and you've got a documentary after documentary uh, about Jesus, Uh, whether you want to watch it or not, it's there. There's plenty of information available. And what I love uh, that's been happening uh, amongst us across our whole church is that uh, we have this wonderful gift of the Gospels uh, and this wonderful gift of the Gospel of Mark. And I really do believe, and something I found, is that it's just as life-giving, uh, this, this historical, uh, factual representation of Jesus, just as life-giving now as it was 2,000 years ago uh, when these events are happening. And one of the things I love specifically uh, about Mark is just the way that um, it's written. So Mark, it's kind of, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's written in the present tense. It's written... Um, as though like it's actually happening in, in real life. And that's one of the things I've discovered, I just kind of really love about the book, uh, book of Mark and it starts to come off the pages if you realize this. And it's kind of happened that way for me uh, over the last couple of months as we've been in Mark. And so I kind of ask you to view it through this lens, this lens of uh, present tense as though this story is happening uh, today uh, just as it did 2000 years ago. And one of the other kind of unique aspects of Mark uh, is that this gospel account just intently focuses on the actions of Jesus. And I didn't realize this until I kind of got into the study this week is that uh, Mark in a very contrasting manner uh, focuses on the actions of Jesus uh, way more than he does the the teaching of Jesus. And so, you know, I, I realize, you know, This happens amongst us like all the time. Let's say you ask a friend, uh, hey, who who is so-and-so? You know, kind of the first thing that you think about is kind of their actions or what what they do. So you say, oh yeah, she's a librarian or oh yeah, he films weddings. You kind of start focusing on the action or or, or what it is they actually do. It's the notion that actions, they speak louder uh, than words. Uh, you know, think about Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela. Uh, their, lasting, their lasting impact was in their actions. You know, although, although their words were powerful and they definitely used their words, it, it was their actions that allowed their words to penetrate the hearts, the hearts of people. And so at the beginning of Mark, you know, God declares with his words uh, a change in human history, a change in the course of of human history, when God, at the beginning of Mark, he said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And so we have at the very, very beginning the words that kinda let us answer the disciples' question, who is this Jesus? He is the son of God. The king of all people has arrived, the savior is here. But it's by his actions that Jesus, king of the earth, begins to reveal himself to the disciples uh, begins to reveal himself to those he encounters. And I think he really has begun to reveal himself to us as, as we've looked at the actions of Jesus here in the book of Mark. And so this morning, we're gonna dive in together. We're gonna continue looking at the actions of Jesus to answer this question, who is, who is this Jesus? And what we're gonna find, and if you take note, this is kind of where you're gonna uh, kind of put your marker point. But one, I think we're gonna find a king who is for us. Uh, we're going to discover a King that who who is for us. Number one, number two, a King who is with us, a Jesus who is with us, and three, a King who heals and saves us. It's kind of one, two, and three. So let's dive into the first. Uh, part together a king who is for us we're going to begin in verse 45 but right before this we need to understand what happened sorry so we're going to dive in we need to understand the story right right here uh, that happened right before this so Jesus and his disciples they're tired they're at the end of the rope Uh, they're they're at a place where they have been serving and loving uh, people like countless hours and so here they are and they're They're getting away to a quiet place. Jesus, he literally says, he says, let's get away to a quiet place to rest. So here they are, getting ready to get away to a quiet place and they recognize Jesus. They recognize the disciples and they begin to come in thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And before they know it, the disciples and Jesus, they find themselves in the presence of thousands of people hungry for Jesus. And so Jesus, like he always does, he has compassion upon these people uh, and he starts to teach. And he teaches and he's preaching and it's starting to get later and later. And so Jesus, he sees these people are hungry, many of them far from, from their homes. And he says, hey, disciples, why don't y'all, why don't y'all go and feed them? And they're confused and they, they figure out what they have. They have five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. They, and Jesus says, yeah, go and feed them. So they're confused, they don't know what exactly he means. And Jesus, in this miraculous moment, he begins to break the bread. So Jesus, he starts breaking the bread and breaking the bread and breaking the bread and it multiplies. They estimate 15 to 20,000 people were there and were fed and satisfied uh, by Jesus. So here we are in verse 45 after this amazing, miraculous miracle has happened. We're actually gonna read now. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went upon a mountainside to pray. I'll read it one more time. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I didn't really notice this at first, uh, but the more I read this story, uh, the more significant this dismissal of the disciples and then this dismissal of the crowd kind of the more significant I found it became. Because you have to think back. Before this day began, kind of as I mentioned, uh, Jesus knew uh, the disciples were tired. He knew that they were at the end of their rope. Um, But after loving and feeding a group of thousands, he he saw that his disciples, they needed to be able to recharge and rest and find a quiet moment in the day. They're exhausted, uh, they're tired. And I think one of the main reasons that he sends them on ahead uh, is that he cares for them, he sees what they need, and he has deep compassion uh, for the needs of his disciples. He cares for them in this moment and sends them on ahead. And Jesus, when he says, he says, you go ahead and I'll dismiss the crowd. And although this is kind of one, uh, one short phrase, I can only begin uh, to imagine what dismissing a group of thousands of people uh, looks like. Uh, seriously, Jesus got done teaching uh, you know, 15,000 people packed in Bridgestone Arena, feeding the entire crowd. And then he says, no, y'all go on ahead. I'll dismiss this entire crowd by myself. I don't know if you can imagine with me what it's like sometimes dismissing a a few people from your house, maybe like a birthday gathering. It's like, yeah, you've got those few folks that, you know, jet right away, but then you've got those folks that stick around until what feels like midnight uh, sometimes. All the house church leaders are like, yes. That's a great thing. You're You're forming community. But, you know, it's like Jesus... He's here with thousands of people. And I can hardly begin to imagine this moment because you know there's those people hanging around just to tell Jesus how good a, good a sermon he preached, uh, stay around and just uh, comment and, and get, to, get to know him. And what, what does Jesus, uh, what does Jesus do? He, he does this willingly, uh, without question, uh, while the disciples are, are away on a boat, uh, kind of going and getting the rest that they need. And what does Jesus do immediately after this moment? Dismisses thousands of people after he got done feeding and teaching them. What does he do? He leaves to an isolated place uh, to pray, to be in and with uh, the presence uh, of his Father. And I realized this week, I was like, this is a sermon in and of itself, uh, to be exhausted, to be tired, and the first thing that Jesus does is he goes and he gets away uh, with his Father. And I kept imagining this moment of prayer this prayer uh, with Jesus and his father and just kind of meditating on, on what was actually happening here. Uh, so he goes up on a mountainside and he's, he's with his father for uh, hours, uh, hours on a mountainside. And the thing that really struck me as I was thinking about this was that being like the selfless servant that he was, um, you just know that he was interceding on behalf and praying for the disciples that he had sent ahead. And I just got this amazing, beautiful picture uh, of Jesus uh, without the disciples even knowing, with the disciples kind of away, alone, on their own in this boat. And Jesus, uh, you know, their king, interceding on their behalf. And I thought about Romans this week, and I think Romans, uh, what Paul says in Romans, really brings this moment and mark uh, to life for all of us. Uh, it says, it says, Christ who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. This is just wild to me, that the creator of the universe, uh, he not only knows us by name, but he's really, he's praying for us. Um, Who is this Jesus? He's a king that is for us. He is a king that is literally in the heavens, interceding on our behalf. And though like the disciples, you know, we may not know it, Uh, We may not always uh, realize it, we may not always feel it, Uh, but there is a God, there is a king who spends his days amongst us in ways that we will never be able to fathom or imagine. This Jesus, this king interceding on the disciples' behalf and also interceding on our behalf, Uh, who is this Jesus? I mean, he's a king uh, who is for us. So let's kind of jump to the next picture. Uh, The second picture, a king who is with us, starts in verse 47. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night or somewhere around 4 a.m., he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them or he was about to walk in front of them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost they cried out because they saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. And I love that the next part of this story, I just love how it starts with Jesus seeing the disciples. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Uh, but Jesus, he sees uh, the disciples. And we can't miss this for the story's sake, and we can't miss it for our sake, uh, that Jesus, he notices them, uh, that he sees them. Uh, isn't, there, isn't there power in being noticed? Uh, isn't there power when someone uh, sees us and appreciates us and, and just like literally sees us? How often along our journey... Um, do we kind of wonder if God sees us, if God notices us? There's these different moments in our lives. I think I've noticed that when I kind of question uh, whether God is understanding or seeing uh, what is going on. And I think Jesus is revealing something really significant here to all of us that as the disciples, as they're struggling, as they're straining, um, he sees them, he notices what's going on. And so, what does he do next? He starts going after them. That's what he does. He sees them, and he starts going after them. In the middle of the night, in the midst of a storm, he starts going after them, not using a spare boat, but by walking on water um, in darkness in the middle of the night. I'm like, what? What's, what's going on here, Jesus? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm going to walk on water. And not only walk on water in darkness in a storm, but I'm going to walk three or four miles. It says they were in the middle of the lake. And so... I don't know if y'all like ever had those flannel board stories of Jesus walking on water, but this is not at all what I pictured. Jesus, in the midst of this scary situation, deciding to walk on water uh, to these disciples uh, in need. Realizing the actual circumstances uh, of what's going on, I think is really, uh, really important. There's so many layers here with Jesus walking on the water. Um, I think it's a reminder to both the disciples and to us the true divine nature of who Jesus is Uh, in the Old Testament um, something these these folks would have known uh, the disciples would have known is that only God could walk on water like uh, multiple people in in Old Testament scripture uh, literally kind of uttered the words that only God could tread on water that God could walk on water And so actually Job, in Job 9, one of the characters in the Old Testament, he says, God alone stretches out the heavens. God alone treads on the waves of the sea. And so Jesus, he continues to reveal to them uh, and to us the truth of who he is. He's the son of God. He's the king of all the earth. And what is revealed about the character of this king? Um, He comes after us. He comes after us no matter what the circumstance, no matter how far, he comes after us. And when he gets there, when he gets there, what happens? What happens? He actually has the words and the presence uh, to bring comfort and peace. What's he say? He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Over and over this week, these words, take courage, just kind of kept resonating uh, in me. I was thinking, you know, these words, take courage, coming from the mouth and the lips of Jesus Christ, like should really mean something to them and should really mean something uh, to us. So I started looking, where, where are the other times that Jesus, he uses this phrase, take courage or take heart. It means the same thing. And there's two instances uh, where Jesus says these things in addition to what we find here in Mark. One is uh, to Paul. Paul as he's getting ready to testify and preach uh, to, uh, to all the Roman people. He says, take heart, like take heart, take courage. And the second is John 16, and I love this. Listen with me here to John sixteen thirty three when Jesus says, he says, I have told you these sayings so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. These words, you know, from Jesus, they're not telling us to buck up, they're not telling us to grab life uh, by the bootstraps. But instead, Jesus is saying, be encouraged, have peace. I have overcome, I have, I have won. I am in this with you, you are not alone. And then uh, something really simple, uh, yet really incredible happens. I don't know if you notice, jump back to verse 51 with me. It says, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. The ultimate comfort, uh, the ultimate peace came in this moment uh, when they invited and Jesus got into the boat with them. Uh, I love this image. The wind immediately died down. And something Jesus has just kind of been teaching me uh, this week, uh, kind of about this image in this moment, uh, is that like he is, he is with me. He is with us always, kind of in every, every storm, whether we realize it or not. But something he was really teaching me about this moment is that when we invite him in those storms with us, when we acknowledge that he is here and he is with us uh, in in these troubled moments of life, um, something happens, uh, the storms, they calm. But I think what Jesus was really teaching me this week was it's not the literal storms of our life just all fall away. You know, Every trouble around us just goes away when Jesus enters the picture when we invite him uh, on board with us it's that Jesus, uh, in only the way that He can, He brings an inner peace and an inner calm uh, that only He can bring. It, it's this image in Mark, Mark chapter six that represents uh, what happens when Jesus calms our heart, calms our soul, calms our minds uh, in only the ways that He can. Uh, he sees us. He comes after us. He comforts us. Who is this Jesus? He is a king that is with us. So let's kind of continue answering this question together. We've seen him for us, we've seen him with us, and we'll continue in verse 53. Let's see a king that heals and saves us. Verse 53, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. And all who touched him were healed. By this time, uh, the healing power of Jesus was very well known in the region. And we see that by the, the throngs of people literally running after him. We see, we see it by how news of his presence spreads uh, like wildfire. And this power, this power to heal, uh, this power to save was unlike anything they had ever seen or experienced before. And that's why we see people running after him, coming into his presence like they do here. And all who touched him were healed. I love the way this, this, this ends. All who touched him were healed. And this is a fitting conclusion here, not only for uh, just Jesus' ministry to the crowds, but just kind of a, a fitting conclusion uh, for us uh, this morning because this last word, this last word healed, can either mean uh, healed or saved. So it can literally mean healed or saved and can be used interchangeably when we look back to the original language. And I really believe Mark, he's describing both a physical healing going on, but also a, a spiritual healing that's, that's happening uh, among these people. And it makes sense because we, when we think back to the story of Jesus healing the paralytic, you know, Jesus lowers uh, this man, uh, or his friends lower this man through the roof. And Jesus... Think back with me for this moment, what does he first and foremost care about in healing this man? He says your sins are forgiven. He cares about spiritually healing and saving this man before he then goes on and heals his his physical illness. I love this, I love this because a God and a king uh, that is for us and with us is something we all desire. But what's the ultimate gift? I Kind of kept asking that question this week. What's the ultimate gift? Is a king who has the ability to save us. A king that has the ability uh, to go, not only go ahead for us and with us, but has the ability to, to go with us and for us uh, forever. Uh, to save us uh, for forever. And that, that is the king I decided this week. I'm like, that's the king that I wanna follow. A king that has the ability Uh, to ultimately save us. A king that is coming back for us one day to be with him forever. We've seen a Jesus here this morning that's for us, uh, that's with us, but also a king that has the ability to save us, uh, to bring us into life with him, not only now, uh, but for forever. And that's this picture We see at the end of Mark chapter six. So a king for us, a king with us, and a king who saves us. And I kept thinking this week, you know, how how is it that I want us to sit around the bread and the body of Christ? How is it that we take this story and we reflect upon this story in our lives? And I thought, you know, where is it that we need to be encouraged? Where is it that we need to be reminded uh, about a Jesus uh, that, is, that is for us, that is with us, that also has the ability uh, to save us. So here in just a moment, I, I want to ask y'all to go kind of with this story in mind and just kind of ask yourselves, ask the people you came with, where is it that you need to be encouraged? Where is it that you need to be reminded of who Jesus is? Uh, do you need a king that's for you right now? Uh, do you need a king, a savior that's with you right now, or maybe you haven't yet fully accepted and decided to follow Jesus. And maybe you need to be saved by Jesus for the very, very first time and accept, accept him for, for who he is. But this is kind of how we're going to end our time together. Uh, In just a few moments, Dave's going to kind of come back up and lead us into a time of of prayer over and in the city. And so I want to invite y'all to, to bow your heads and pray with me, and then we're going to take, take communion together.